Good morning and greetings from frozen Edmonton, Alberta, Canada. And uh, we're uh, going through winter there. It's invigorating. And uh, we have a daughter in Alaska, though. She's in a place called Toke, Alaska. That's six hours north of Anchorage. And she reported last week that it is minus 58 there. But it's calm. There's no wind blowing. So, uh, and, uh, so yes, it could be worse, it could be better, and that is the way life is. Want to give you a report first on our a little assembly up in Edmonton. Um, we started in the 1970s as an outreach Sunday school from another assembly. And so we started with a Sunday school, and then we uh, got interest from some of the adults, and so we started a Bible study, and then we started... And we were breaking bread all the time at, an, at our, our mother assembly. And then we started breaking bread Sunday evenings. And then we started to, we, we uh, put together a service for Sunday morning, Lord Day morning services. And up until this last year, we've always had three services Sunday morning. We've always had the breaking of bread. Then we have the family Bible hour where the grade twoers and under go out for junior church. And then the third service is full Sunday school classes for the children and sermon discussion, where the ladies would come together in one portion of the chapel to discuss the sermon, and the men would get together in another portion. And so we're going through a change now. There are um, some people who thought the morning was too long, and, um, and you know, it, you start listening to people, and, and uh, the... the uh, the olive branches start to drop, and uh, we made uh, changes to uh, some of our meetings. They left anyway, by the way. But, uh, yeah, but so now we're back to two services, and we've just done something big in January. We actually took our breaking of bread and moved it from 9 o'clock in the morning to 9.30 to be in sync with the other assemblies. So we're just we're moving ahead, big time. Look out, world, here we come. And so, but if you could be praying for us and, uh, uh, and, and for, yeah. Now as well, since the early 90s, Marlene and I, well, it all started with my daughter. I learned about the Lord from a kids club that happened in a wee little, a little assembly that was just a house that they had bought. And, and it was, it, at, at best, it was probably a two-bedroom house, maybe a one a wartime house with a, a washroom down in the basement and only a partial basement, all the rest was dirt. And I'd heard about the Lord there. So when Mary Ann was in university, she started a girls' club. She just leafleted and talked to the neighbors and she started a girls' club in our house. And after that was started and, and ran for a year or two, she said, Dad, it's your turn. You heard about the Lord through a kids' club. It's your turn to start a boys' club. And she was absolutely right. Except they couldn't have it in our house, they'd tear the place down. So instead, we went to the local school where our children had attended, and the principal was good enough there to say, yes, you can have a boys club. And we started off Friday afternoons, right after school, where right in the gymnasium, we'd have a boys club. And it got to be there were so many boys, this is a K to six school, so many boys that we split it up and had grades one, two, and three on Wednesdays, Grades four, five, and six on Fridays. And then Marlene, 
uh, Marianne finished university, and so Marlene took over the girls' club, and they have Tuesdays. Now, what this is is a relationship where we, right after school is done, we have the gymnasium in this public school. We, well, the boys play floor hockey, then they stop, and we have a Bible lesson and a snack, and then more floor hockey. The girls have some games, a snack with a Bible lesson, and then a craft. And uh, by the grace of God, uh, the, the girls' one is flourishing. Uh, the younger boys, lots of them. The older boys, we go through waves where classes will start and stop. And the parents are well aware that we're teaching Bible. We have them sign off on a permission slip where they know that we're having the Children's Club sponsored by Clairview Bible Chapel, Clairview Bible Church, and they sign off it and they know that we're teaching Bible. And the children can't come in unless they have this permission slip from their parents. And so it's all straight up forward, public school, we're teaching Bible. As well, these last few years, last year the principal who was leaving um, uh, proclaimed that Marlene and I were volunteers of the year. And so, and we have a, it was a little bit of trepidation because we had a new principal coming. We've had principals come and go, but every time there's a new principal, we're a bit on edge saying, will this one cancel it? And no, if anything, this new one has been better than ever. And uh, so we're blessed and uh, we marveled at it. We've had helpers that have come and gone, but God's always provided more helpers. And so we're not doing it on our own. And so all in all, and if you have been playing, praying for our kids' clubs, thank you, and please continue to pray. And uh, over the years, um, I, would, I would guesstimate, um, well, there have probably been a 1,000 kids go through that kids' club. We make sure we only do... October, November, because then it gets too dark. We can't send them home. So we skip December, January, and then February we have Kids Club again. And then March, they kick out all the, all the bookings for the gym, and they have gymnastics, so we can't use it. But in October, November, we made sure they understand who Jesus is and why Christmas needed to be. And then now, in February, we will prepare them for Easter. So all these children, and most of them are totally unchurched, will understand who Jesus is, why he came, why they need him as their savior. It'll be straightforward, clear. We've gone away from doing any Old Testament stuff, any kind of Sunday school lessons. We want to focus on Jesus. To that end, if you recall last year, I talked about the blessedness of the assemblies, where once a week we get to stop and remember Jesus. And we get to go to the cross. And how that is the place that God wants us to revisit during difficult times, hard times, doubting times. He wants us to go back to the cross. And for this, I didn't bring my gifts with me, but for to demonstrate this, um, Usually around Christmas time, at least a few times I've done this. I've got this big box, and it says, In Christ Jesus. And it's gift-wrapped. 
in Christ Jesus, and when you open it up, in Christ Jesus, we have eternal life. That's one gift. We have forgiveness of sins. That's another gift. We have kindness, another gift. We have, um, and on and on. And the one I'm pulling this year is, in Christ Jesus, we have the gift of joy. You may have recalled last year, I told you as well, there was a guy by the name of T.D. Muir. He was an evangelist 100 years ago, a little bit more. And he was in a town, and there was a lady there, Mrs. Strachan, and her husband had gone to the gospel meetings, and he had accepted Jesus as a savior. He had had his sins forgiven, and he had such peace that she wanted that peace too. So she said, dear, you take care of the kids. I'm going to that gospel meeting. I want peace. And she went to the gospel meeting, and she was ready to get peace. And after the message, she tried to talk to the evangelist. But he was busy visiting people and talking to people, and she just followed him around, and finally... He turned to her and said, yes, what would you like? She said, I want peace. He said, oh, I thought you wanted Jesus. And he turned around and walked away. And oh, was she upset? She was upset at the way only Mrs. Strachan could be upset. And she was walking home, kicking stones, just upset that he wouldn't talk to her because she wanted the peace. Then she realized that the Holy Spirit opened her eyes to the fact that in Christ, she would have the peace. She went back the, last, the next night. She accepted the Lord as her Savior, and she had that peace. And when they were writing the memoirs of T.D. Muir, because he didn't want to have anything to do with it himself, he said, I don't want to write about me. I don't want to talk about me. I want to talk about Christ. So they wrote all his memoirs. But her husband said, make sure you put this in. She wants it in there. She wants it in the book. And so for a long time now, people have been reading about Mrs. Strachan and how she found peace when she found Christ. Might I suggest to you that the season we've just come through is the season of joy. We've, uh, the, what did the angels proclaim? And that is, uh, I bring you great tidings of joy or good tidings of great joy. And so... We talk about joy. We sing about joy. Joy to the world. But I dare say that after Christmas washes by, the joy of the Lord can tend to wane. And so I'm here to tell you something that you already know. God has laid it on my heart. And after the thinking about this, I said, Lord, whenever you allow me to preach in an assembly, this will be the, meeting, the, the message I give. I will remind them about the joy of the Lord. And when we sang about rejoicing now, rejoicing is only verbalizing joy. And so rejoicing and joy are together. Now, Christ was born. The angels announced joy. And then Herod had his way and put a bunch of babies to death. The crowds had their way. And though the Son of God healed 
forgave, brought back from the dead. They shouted, crucify him. And the leaders did. Joy. This is the joy that was announced. From a human perspective, I'm afraid not. But from our perspective, yes. And I suggest to you that we're in the middle game, brother and sister. The joy that was announced when the Savior came and the eternal joy that's in heaven, we're in the middle. We're in the middle and we need the right perspective. For the world will not give you that perspective of joy. I notice in my age group, and I've just turned um, 71, that my peers, even my believing peers, sometimes let the circumstances of the world weigh them down. They fret over the government. They fret over world affairs. They fret over their health. And all these things, from a human perspective, are perfectly normal. But remember our Lord said, blessed are you when, and he seemed to turn things up, the perspective, upside down, the perspective for the people who were listening to his Beatitudes. Blessed are you when men persecute you for my namesake. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are the humble. Blessed are all these things that the world doesn't think are very important at all, and people who are important would not look to that. But from God's perspective, things were upside down from the human perspective. Or is it that the human perspective is upside down from God's perspective? I would suggest it be the second. And yes, the joy of the Lord does mean that there can still be sadness, grieving, illness, hard times, difficulties, friction with other people, and there can still be joy. Joy does not mean the absence of all these things. Real joy is the presence of joy during all these things. We should be memorizing verses no matter what age we are. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Notice the word isn't when you get into it. You don't have to get into it. You can fall into it. A lot of times you will have various trials of none of your own doing. And James said, count it all joy, my brethren. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you've been grieved by various trials, says Peter. That one I need to rememorize. Count it all joy. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, said our Savior, in those same Beatitudes. Looking unto Jesus, the Hebrew writer says, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. And the writer of Hebrews states, we need endurance. You have need of endurance. 
And Christ, when he saw the cross coming, and the crowd, he knew they'd turn on him. And he knew the whipping and the beating he'd take. And he knew the humiliation he'd take. For the joy set before him, he endured that. He was headed for the joy. Paul says to the Corinthians, I'm exceedingly joyful in all my tribulation. We have a choice during tribulation and difficult times, illness, conflict, difficulties. We have a choice. We can choose joy and gratitude, or we can choose resentment. And ours is to choose joy. And I would suggest to you that there's some robbers of joy. And we must warn one another about this and be on guard ourselves as well. The first one, of course, is sin. David sinned with Bathsheba. What did he ask for in Psalm 51? Restore unto me the joy of your salvation. He didn't have the joy of salvation anymore. Over the years, has your joy of salvation kind of gone dim a bit? We should all wake up in the morning and say, Lord, thank you. I'm saved by your grace, by your goodness, by your sacrificing your son to be my savior. Thank you. Should we start the day by rejoicing in the Lord? I believe so. And a lot of times, instead, the world lays heavy on us whether you're 71 or not. And my, yeah. Anyway, for you young people, the world will sell perceived happiness in sin. And it's a lie. All there is is sadness and grief. And so, don't look for happiness there. Look for happiness in the joy of the Lord. Rather than turning to the world and see what you get out of it or what you can manipulate out of it or what it sells as, oh, as fun, look to the Lord. He will give you fun like you can't measure. Happiness beyond degree. And you will have the joy of the Lord by obeying him and not obeying the devil. There are others who would like to take away our joy of the Lord. Herod was doing that when he put those children to death, wasn't he? Pharisees. Here's a man who's healing the sick, and they criticize him. You did it on the wrong day. Oh, my. Raising the dead, and they want to put him to death for that. They find faults. So there's others who will try and take away your joy of the Lord or, if, can, or at least tone it down. And then there's circumstances. What is it that somehow part of us seems to think that once we accept Christ as our Savior and have our sins forgiven, that everything's going to be easy and sweet? And peaches and cream, what is it about our human makeup that somehow infers that we would get that? 
And then when we made a, a, a talk to a Christian who's got the joy of the Lord, oh, I wish I could be like him. Her? Oh, no, no, no. Take what's yours. But any time we judge our lives and our existence and what's happening to us from a human perspective, the joy of the Lord will wane. Because the trick is, the answer is, the solution is to look to the Lord. You don't see a sad person wandering out of here after the breaking of bread, I guarantee you that. Unless there's something that they've allowed to come between them and the Lord. We have just focused for an hour on the Lord Jesus Christ and what he did for us. And we leave here happy, joyful, rejoicing. Because we looked to him. And when we look to the Lord, it will always bring us joy. When we look at others, at circumstances, at our place in life, it'll take away from that joy. Rejoice in the Lord always. We used to sing a camp song, we still do. And we do it in parts as well. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. We sing another one called, Joy is the flag flown high from the castle of my heart. Because the king is in residence here. And there are songs and songs and songs about joy. And there's passages and passages and passages about joy. The, I would say scripture is just, they're all over the place. They're just, they're woven in. Now, There is a passage in Acts that's a that's the writer of Acts is quoting is quoting um, the Old Testament. And it says, Thou hast made known to me the ways of life, and thou wilt fill me full of joy with thy presence or with thy countenance. When I was 20, 19, 20, I was surveying, and we um, were sent to a construction camp where we were surveying for a railway and surveying for a highway. And construction camps are full of guys who've got nothing to do in the evening. So they gamble away their money, they drink away their money, they spend their money on very bad and very foolish things. And I remembered the kids club that I'd attended where some men had took the time Tuesday nights, some of the guys from the assembly, to take care of these kids. And the Lord opened my eyes to the ways of the world. And I said, I don't want to be like these guys. I want to be like those guys. Those guys had the Lord. Thou hast made known to me the ways of life. Thou wilt fill me full of joy with thy presence. Life doesn't give you joy. The Lord does. I want to go to Psalm 88. And as a as a just a, a, an introduction to this, scripture, scripture has these interludes. 
you'll find them in the toughest portions of, of Scripture. We just went through Jeremiah at our assembly, and Jeremiah is a real downer sometimes. But in there, there's passages that just lift you up when he turns his attention to the Lord. At the breaking bread this morning, the lamentation one, Jeremiah's looking at the destroyed city of Jerusalem. But right in the middle, but the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. Right in that sadness, in that weeping, in that, in that despondency, he remembers that the Lord is good. And the Lord keeps on coming. Psalm 88 now. The writer of this, the sons of Korah, just want to point something out if you have it. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayers come before you, incline your ear to my cry, for my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave, down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength. Go down a bit further, verse 6. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in the darkness of the depths. Your wrath lies heavy on me, and you have afflicted me with all your waves. You have put away my acquaintances far from me, you have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up. I cannot get out. Lord, I have called unto you. I have called daily unto you. I have stretched out my hands to you. It goes on and on. The eyes and the me's and the eyes and the me's. And it's not going well for the person who writes this psalm. And God in all his wisdom knew that when we're reading the psalms, we'll probably read them sequentially. So he had the writers of the Bible follow Psalm 88 that ends verse 15. I have been afflicted and ready to die from my youth. I suffer your terrors. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your terrors have cut me off. You came around me all, me all day long like water. They engulfed me altogether. Loved ones and friends you have put far from me and my acquaintances into darkness. That's Psalm 88. Keep on reading, folks. Psalm 89, I will sing of the mercies of the Lord forever. With my mouth will I make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Written by David, but following the sons of Korah. Because the sons of Korah in that psalm were focused on me, I my situation, my condition, what people are doing to me. And then David in Psalm 89 sings of the mercies of the Lord forever. He considers the goodness of God. And the joy of the Lord is there in considering the goodness of God, not the badness of life. Perhaps God wants to use us as examples. Perhaps people will say, how can you rejoice and be so joyful and not bringing happiness when I see what's happening to you, when what you're going through, when you don't talk about the arthritis you have that's driving you crazy, when you don't talk about those aches and pains, when you don't talk about what you've gone through, but rather you want to talk about the Lord. Maybe we'll affect other people if that's where our mindset is on the joy of the Lord 
not the sadness of circumstances. Oh, the knowledge of God and to understand him. Psalm 5, verse 11 says, Let those also who love your name be joyful in you. All sorts of verses I could quote. Bible's full of it. The Lord Jesus looked forward to joy, with joy. And he told his disciples in John 15, these things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be at a half a tank? No, that it may be full. Our Savior wanted us to have his joy. What a wonderful, wonderful thing. want to go to one last place, and that's Nehemiah. Nehemiah and Ezra kind of had an interesting gathering of the people. Nehemiah chapter 8. Verse 3. Then he read from it in the open square that was in front of the water gate from morning till midnight. That's a lot of Bible reading. But there's a catcher to it. In verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was standing above all the people, and when he opened it, all the people stood up. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. There are some groups to this day where when the Bible is read, they don't sit. We've gone this, in these times to where people stand to sing and sit for the reading of God's word. So be it. So be it, Lord, you know. These people stood for half a day to the reading of God's word. Verse 10, then he said, go your way, eat the fat, drink the sweet, and send portions to those for whom nothing is prepared. For this day is holy to our Lord. Do not sorrow, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Last point. The joy of the Lord will give you strength and endurance. Look to him. He will strengthen you. Focus on him. Spend time dwelling on him. He wants to give you a joy that strengthens you, gives you endurance to get through anything he sends your way. And yes, I am, by God's word, giving you permission to eat fat and drink sweet. The weight weight clinics would not give you that permission, but I do. Okay. So the Levites quieted all the people, saying, Be still, for the day is holy. Do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink, to send portions, and greatly rejoice, because they understood the words that had been declared to them. Lord God Almighty, may we understand the words of your word as well. 
that there is joy in the Lord and the joy of the Lord can be our strength. And so often instead we get focused on life. May we rise above that and instead delight in you. And may our strength come from the joy of the Lord, not from good events or from prosperity or whatever. May our delight be in the Lord. And so, Father God, this very simple thought, but may nothing ever take away our joy of the Lord or diminish it. We pray this in Jesus' name, the one who wanted our joy to be full. Amen. There's a lady I know, and she's a grandmother. And her children have decided to go to another place to worship. And they're taking their grandchildren with them. And times are changing, and she's widowed. And she's sad. For what has happened is the joy of the Lord has been overshadowed by events and by what people are doing. How many of you here have relatives that go somewhere else or are somewhere else? And yet when it happens to us, we think we're the only one going through it. Might I suggest for my last point, that joy of the Lord comes from considering the Lord, but we can help one another focus on the Lord. Consider the Lord's goodness. And we can pray for one another and help one another go through those tough times. And remind them that the joy of the Lord is still there. Despite what circumstances are. May we be a blessing to one another. And may we be reminding one another. As John said, I want you to be mindful of this. You already know it. As Paul said, I want to remind you. They already knew it, that we can help others to focus on the joy of the Lord and have the joy of the Lord, rather than letting circumstances overwhelm them, weigh them down, sadden them, take their joy of the Lord away. The meeting is now over.